Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so today we're learning Shohan Aruch, Or Haim, Ilchot Shabbat, or Loz of Shabbat, Siman Shin Kafhet, 328 in Shohan Aruch. Um... Din Hole Beshabbat says Shohana Aruch Misha Yeshlo Mehosh Bealma Vomit Hazek Volech Kevari Asur La Sodlo Shum Refua Vafilu Alide Eno Yudi Gezera Mishum Shehikat Samanim. If someone has a discomfort, is not feeling comfortable, is not sick, Vomit Hazek Volech Kevari, and we see that that person is recovering. One is not to not allowed to perform any kind uh, of healing or administer any medicine, even by a non-Jew, gzera, and that is a decree or offense. Uh, we want to avoid a situation where someone will do shehikat samanim, grinding ingredients and preparing medicine on Shabbat. So. This is just an introduction to this whole Saif. We really have to understand what is this uh, Gezera, where does it come from, this, this Gezera, this prohibition against grinding ingredients to make medicine on Shabbat. Where is it mentioned uh, for the first time? Because today, a lot of people who feel a slight discomfort on Shabbat, or even if they need to take medicine, are reluctant to do so because of that uh, gzera. This is how it was interpreted in later uh, literature that um, you cannot you cannot take, eat, drink, administer any kind of medicine on Shabbat because of that uh, because of that prohibition. The um, common sense says that this gzera shouldn't apply today because the world of medicine has changed. We don't grind today ingredients to make our own medicine uh, and even if we did the uh, the even if we mix some kind of ingredient to make to make medicine we're not going to go to the to the process of grinding it or cooking it um, some people bring up the, an, uh, an objection to that they say that people use uh, pill crushers or pill cutters and that's like she got some money it's not the same we're not talking about cutting it or making it into small pieces, but really uh, grinding in the original sense of the word, separating the chef from the uh, from the grain and turning it into something new that wasn't there before. Uh, and most of us don't do that. Not most. I think no one does that. But first, we have to look at the the source in the Talmud. It's very interesting where this appears. Uh, this is in Talmud Masechet Shabbat, Dafnun Gimel Amud Bet. But it actually follows the previous discussion um, in the Mishnah. I'll go directly to the Gemara. Uh, the Mishnah says <coughs> that one uh, one cannot go out to the uh, to 
the public to the public domain uh, with a kamea she'enomumhe with a with an amulet unless that amulet has been proven to work. This is this is uh, one uh, one form that people used to, as medicine in the in the past. It was amulets written. Uh, names or verses written on parchment, people carry them around their neck. And uh, it's interesting because the word mumhe today means a specialist. Usually you, you speak about a, you know, uh, a specialized doctor. But back then they said that the kamea is mumhe, the, the amulet is mumhe, meaning that it has a proven history of people who carry that amulet and uh, have been healed. Um, so the Gemara has a discussion uh, whether uh, why can one carry it or not, and then uh, raises this question. Tashema, beema she achazad dam en ma'amidim ota b'mayim b'shvil she'itztanen. Adam she achazad dam ma'amidim ota b'mayim b'shvil she'itztanen. So the Gemara discusses the question of uh, whether animals who are, if, if an animal is sick, you could do certain things for it. Not heal it on Shabbat, but let it at least carry an amulet that is meant for for animals, whatever whatever it is. The and and it brings a proof from this baraita, from this external mishnah. A an animal who has fever, you're not allowed to lead it into a a river or a stream to let it bathe in cold water and to cool down because that is healing. But Adam she'achazodam, if a human has fever, you're allowed to let him stand in the water to cool down. So we see that there is a difference in the way you treat an animal and a man and a, and a person. Amar Ula, so Ula comments, the reason you don't lead the animal into the water is that uh, that might cause you to grind ingredients and make medicine for it. So the Gemara asks the question, If you're concerned about grinding ingredients for medicine, then this will also apply to humans. And the, Gemara, the Talmud answers, it's not the Ula who answers, when a, when a person, when a man wanders into the water, it will, people would think that he's just going, he just needs to, to cool down, to refresh himself. Um, but they don't think that he's doing it for medicine uh, for medical reasons. So we could say that with the animal also, uh, you know, animal, the animals cool themselves in the water. The answer, that animals do not go into the water to cool themselves, which I'm not sure is correct. I think that animals do that when it's very hot. However, the, uh, the important thing in this whole discussion is that the famous decree of grinding ingredients to make medicine appears only in this discussion in the Talmud. It's not in the Mishnah. Usually the rabbis of the Mishnah are those who make gizerot. And also, it does, it's not stated as a, uh, uh, as a neutral or independent statement. It comes as an, a, as an answer to a question in the Talmud and by itself, it is not; it is insufficient. And it's, it is said by Ola, uh, a later uh, Tanakh, third or fourth century. So this whole thing is a questionable. Like, where, who, 
who issued this decree and what is uh, really uh, the problem with it. So later on, the poskim picked up on that on that gezerah uh, uh, mentioned in the Talmud and said that you know the fear is that you're going to cook or you're you're going to make medicine. Uh, interestingly enough, in the uh, in the response of literature, in the early response of literature up until the 1500s, it is mentioned maybe three times, and then in the later response of literature, this issue is mentioned hundreds of times. It's very probable that with the advance of medicine, there were more situations where one would uh, would think about that. But <clears throat> uh, my opinion on that on that issue is that. Uh, even if it were gzera by hachamim, we do have to apply logic here. The gzera existed within a certain context, and the gzera was that um, you don't use medical uh, methods for someone who doesn't need them, uh, for for someone who's uh, for whom it's just uh, an additional comfort on Shabbat, right? And that was the prohibition was created in the time where. Uh, people did that. They did home medicines. They would either cook or grind or prepare them. Today, that we don't have that. I don't. I I think and I rule that we don't have to care. We don't have to worry about this gezera. So anyone who ne- who needs to take pills on Shabbat, whether it's regular, you know, headache pills that are Advil or or pain relievers, um, or it was uh, prescribed. Uh, antibiotics, there's not even a question that, that those uh, pills should be taken, vitamins, anything like that, one should take, there's no problem with that, there's no prohibition uh, in doing that, applying creams or anything like that. <clears throat> now as we'll continue, we'll see that the uh, uh, we have to understand also that the, the um, perception of what was dangerous and what was not uh, is totally different than, than the way we see it today. There, I mean, of course they had a lot of knowledge that was acquired through uh, experience, we should not uh, belittle the knowledge of uh, of healers of the past. People did have medical knowledge that was acquired through through practice, through observation. But there are also a lot of mistakes. Uh, it's, it's not a um, uh, we made a lot of progress. I mean, we should happy should be happy that today we could go to the doctors that we could go to uh, with all the problems, uh, even with the, you know, with the, opi- with the opiates, uh, opioids crisis, it's still, uh, we're still better off. Just give you two examples. Um, uh, two years ago, I, I was in London and I visited the, uh, the um, Museum of Medicine and in one exhibition which, which had the uh, medical instruments of the, uh, of the 18th and 19th century, you couldn't tell if you're at a, if you're looking at the tools of a doctor, or of a carpenter or a blacksmith. It was just you know simply scary, uh, or maybe a torture chamber, uh, and uh, also a known fact that in uh, in some hospitals in Europe in America, they would place the uh, the patients who had to have a surgery in a higher floor next to the window. To encourage them, hopefully, uh, it's scary, but to commit suicide, you know, before before the uh, uh, before the procedure, because it was just so painful. And when they said bite the bullet, that was for many uh, the the form to uh, to have anesthesia. Just bite the bullet so you don't feel the pain 
uh, until until it is all over. So when, when and uh, that also has an impact on the issue of organ donation. Um, I wrote about that and I translated the piece by, from Rabbi, by Rabbi Yosef Meshash. It also has a, uh, it, it's relevant that this just counter understanding of how medicine has progressed in the in the last five hundred years and even more since so the last hundred years. Uh, it is extremely relevant to the. Uh, the issue of uh, of autopsies and uh, um, and the advancement of uh, of science, the reason that the rabbis opposed to organ donations or autopsies in the past is that they did not see uh, any contribution to the health of others by doing so. Now we know that sometimes it could be a single case, uh, a single person that. Uh, that the circumstance of, of his or her that can contribute better to the understanding and of uh, of medicine and maybe saving hundreds if not thousands uh, or millions of lives. So anyway, we'll go back to uh, to the Shohana. Well, first, we'll go in order before we go we spread into those topics. Um, and if you have uh, you know relevant questions to, to that particular please don't hesitate. Save uh, bet. You read this. Mishesh lecholi shel sakana mitzvah lechalal alavet haShabbat. If someone is sick and uh, and this is something that that puts him in danger, it's a mitzvah to transgress Shabbat for him. The the faster you act, the better. And if someone delays to ask a question, he could be considered a murderer if something happens. God forbid. So this, if you want to teach alachot about medicine, and Shabbat. This line is what you need to teach. Chapter 328 of Shuhan Aruch, Sa'if Bet. It is a mitzvah whenever there is danger. If you don't know there, then, that there is danger, you have to assume that there is danger. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people don't do that. I know uh, that in, in, uh, in Brooklyn, for example, the friends of mine who work there in, in hospitals, in ERs, Tell me that on Motei Shabbat, the or Hatzalah gets a lot of calls on Motei Shabbat because people wait. Uh, there were cases of children who fell and broke their, you know, someone broke a hand, and the and the parents said, okay, we could wait until Motei Shabbat. It's not urgent. Okay, you know, you could survive. Um, and we know that sometimes it could be a simple infection that that could be uh, life threatening. Just a, a maybe a month or two months ago, I got an email from someone who told me that. You know, based on listening to the class and understanding what has to be done, uh, he was visiting friends, and he saw a family friend sort of like performing a crazy dance in the in the backyard. He didn't understand what was going on. Then it turned out that she stepped on uh, on ants, and she's allergic to ants. Um, and even though Shabbat was within ten minutes, he did not hesitate. You know, took her, drove her to the uh, to the hospital. Said they were debating the family whether she should call an ambulance. He drove her immediately to the hospital, and uh, by, but when, when he got there, the doctors told him that those 10 minutes could have cost her her life. Um, you know, that acting fast, and he stayed with her. Actually, she wanted to go back, and, he, and, uh, and uh, her stress wouldn't let her get the medicine that uh, the doctor suggested. So he promised her that he's going to stay with her and drive with her back, and that's what he did. And... Uh, those are the kind of things that when people delay to, to make a decision could uh, either cost someone uh, their lives or 
cause irreversible damage. So one should really be very careful with that. Um, so in in uh, in the following sefim, the Shulchan explains what is considered a dangerous uh, il, uh, illness. So I'm not going to go through all of them because we have different standards today. They, uh, the Shulchan speaks about following the Gemara. Anything that is within the body, from the from the teeth inwards, uh, is a problem and. Uh, it's only if one of the organs or in uh, uh, or uh, the inside organs is uh, uh, has been hit or you know or penetrated with a with a knife or something. But uh, but pain is not considered a, a danger. So if someone you know according to to that uh, uh, opinion, if someone has uh, strong uh, uh, powerful uh, stomachache or uh, or uh, uh, Left left side of the body uh, is aching; that he should not be taken to the hospital. But of course, nobody uh, would hesitate today because we know we know that those are signs of either uh, appendicitis or or uh, or a heart attack. The uh, um, and then they speak about makashal gavad vagavaregel, something that is on 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 top of the hand, but on inside the hand. So all these things uh, are based on. The, the signs that they had at the time. Uh, it's interesting to note here in Seifted, we have with us uh, an ophthalmologist in, in the class, and so we will confirm that. They knew that uh, eyes are something that you don't take uh, lightly. If someone feels uh, that uh, pain in his eyes, if uh, there's a secretion or he's crying because of pain or uh, blood comes out, this all considered a uh, uh, life-threatening situation. Um, <clears throat> In Seif Yud Aleph, Chole sheyesh bo sakana, she'amadu biyom Shabbat shikhaz lo refai dua, sheyesh bo melechet hilul Shabbat shmona yamim, en omrim namtin ad alayla, venimza shelo lechalil ala vela Shabbat ahad. If uh, we have a we have a, a patient whose situation is uh, who's, who's uh, in danger, and the doctors say that taking care of him will 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 take eight days, and now it's Shabbat, so one should not say okay, let's wait till Sunday. We'll start the treatment on Sunday, so there will be only one Shabbat within the eight days. But rather, you start the treatment right away. You don't delay it. Um, Another interesting and important halacha in Seif Yudbet, Kshemehalelim Shabbat al Holesh Yeshbo Sakana. When you do that, Mishtadlin Shelola Asot Aliyadei Eno Yehudi Uktanim Venashim, Ela Aliyadei Israelim Gdolim Uvnei Da'at. When you do that, you should not do it by asking a non Jew to do it or a minor or women, but rather uh, ask. Grown men and people who are learned in halacha. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, you know, we always look at the, Nashim are uh, included in that group of uh, people who are not so knowledgeable. The uh, um, but the, the the intention of this um, halacha is the Mishnah Bura highlights. It says Ukshayesham b'ma'amad ze hachamim mitzvah lechatchila lasot chilul zaledeim. He says if the, if 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 scholars are present, they are the ones who should do it. 
Uh, and the reason for that is to show that it is not that we uh, disregard the observation, the observance on Shab- of Shabbat, but rather the importance of human life. So, if in situations like that we would look around and say, "Oh, you, you know, you're not such a learned person," and you know, you usually maybe you're not, you're not, you're not so observant either. You'll be the one who does it. Then we will convey the message that that we are still concerned about transgressing Shabbat. But when we turn to the rabbi of the community, or the, the most learned or observant man of the com- person of the community, and we say, you're the one who's going to take that person to the hospital and do whatever is necessary, then uh, we show the importance of, uh, of uh, human life. The, uh, okay. Um, so, say if you die. Choleh shanafal mehamat choleh la mishkav, ve'en bo sakana, אומרים לאינו יהודי לעשות לו רפואה, אבל אין מחיים עליו את השבת באיסור דאורייתא, אפילו יש בו סכנת איבר. If someone is uh, bedridden, but he is not in danger, you can tell the non-Jew to take care of him, but you, a Jew, cannot break the Shabbat for him, אפילו יש בו סכנת איבר, even if uh, the uh, one of his organs could be at risk. Again, today, this is not a consideration. The, when, they, when they speak about Sakanat Eval, they, they might have given up on that, uh, on that limb or, or, or member or organ because they, there was no way that they could cure it anyway. Um, today's medicine is different. And to transgress Shabbat directly with rabbinic prohibition, uh, some say even if there's no danger to one of the limbs or organs of the person, and some say it is mutar. Um, I want to skip from that to, you know, segue from that for a second to what happens in the modern hospital in Israel. Um, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of, uh, of, uh, halachic solutions that are provided. I mean, there, I'm going to talk about two scenarios. One is a hospital in Israel where most of the, uh, most of the doctors are Jewish. And then hospitals outside of Israel where uh, some doctors, I mean, also a lot of Jewish doctors, and where there are Jewish concentration, a lot of Jewish doctors, um, but not, they're not necessarily the majority of the hospital, and there are the problems that, um, that, that could be there. So uh, in Israel there's an uh, institution called Tzomet that provides halachic solutions to, uh, to using electricity, mainly to using electricity, but of course many other things in the, in the hospital. The uh, the main the main uh, invention of Tzomet when it has to do with electricity is a uh, is a double sort of a safe of, of two layers. One is grama and the other one is uh, is the uncertainty. So when you uh, for example when you plug the the problem that the uh, the Tzomet faces is what do you do with all the other actions in the hospital? That are not uh, that are not life threatening. One second. So the as I said, the, the problem of Tzomet is with uh, um, some things that happen in the hospital that are not directly related to uh, uh, to saving lives. Such so for example, warming, you know, serving foods. You have uh, um, Hadassah or Sharetz at the hospital, ten floors or more, <clears throat> and you have to bring food from the kitchen and give to all the all the uh, all the the patients and uh, 
you have to keep it warm. So how do you plug the, that uh, food cart into the wall in every, at every floor? So uh, what they did, they invented this uh, outlet where you plug it in and there's no, there's, no, uh, <clears throat> there's no current when you plug it in. There's never a current when you plug it in. So that you didn't do anything. Then uh, later, current will flow through that outlet. And if it finds the, uh, the, the plug-in, it will connect. But that current does not come in set intervals. It comes randomly. So it is unexpected. And you, could never, you will never plug it in when, it, when it's working. And so this is one type of solution. The other, um, the other problem that is presented when, when doctors do the rounds and they have to take notes. Um, so uh, how do they do that? So they have usually... <clears throat> they have uh, a non-Jewish nurse with them, uh, who who would take uh, who would take notes. So, uh, my opinion on those issues is that the, uh, the as as effective as those solutions could be. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about taking notes on tablets. Um, as effective as those solutions could be, when you take when you think about a hospital with 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 thousands of patients. And how those cumulative uh, delays of maybe a second per doctor per patient could could uh, uh, accumulate on the, on the system, and someone might be in danger. I think that the uh, the better approach would be to go with what the what the Shohan Aruch says that uh, we deal with rabbinical prohibition as lechatchila. Whatever is rabbinical should be allowed lechatchila. Uh, for doctors, so when they go around and they, when when they do the rounds, they should uh, be able to uh, to take notes on a on a tablet because they're using electricity. There is not and it's not writing. It's not ktav mit kayem. There shouldn't shouldn't be a problem with that. Um, the uh, yes, um, so. So, like Michelle is saying, this is this is what you do. You sh- it's better to write electronically, because this is rabbinical. But you'd be surprised that even writing, uh, handwriting, if you don't write in Hebrew, there is an opinion that that's rabbinical. There is uh, uh, the Shohan Aruch calls it that there is room to say that the only type of writing which is forbidden on Shabbat is writing in Hebrew and in uh, the Ashuri script, the way we write Sefer Torah. All the rest is rabbinical. So you could rely on that when you have to write inside the hospital. Um, another issue is that, uh, that uh, and I heard it from a nurse working, that who had to travel on Shabbat and back to the hospital, um, that th- she always heard from uh, from the rabbis that all the, uh, all the, uh, uh, allowances that are made regarding uh, treating a uh, patients or anyone who's sick on Shabbat are only made for doctors, but not for nurses. Um, and you know, some rab- some rabbis, some some students, you know, some people. That's what they heard, and of course, we have to dispel that myth because uh, nurses are an integral part of the uh, of the staff at the hospital. If the nurses are not there. The doctors cannot operate operate normally, so uh, we really what we have to use. I'm, I'm not familiar with you know all the aspects of the of the of the um, of the hospital life, but I've been 
unfortunately visiting and talking to a lot of people and uh, the best uh, approach would be to let doctors and nurses on, on in the field, on the ground, to decide what has to be done and never delay. Uh, the, the, only, the only things that could happen in a hospital that really are Hilul Shabbat Doraita is to start a fire, uh, which is not uh, not very common to light a fire. Um, it's really you'll be hard pressed to think of something else that could be Hilul Shabbat Doraita, and that if you do it, then you're in the situation of being doubtful: Did I have to do it or not? So Misafek, it's better not to uh, not to delay and just go about what what has to be done with uh, without delay. When in uh, in a hospital outside Eretz Israel, then sometimes it's easier for the doctors because they could uh, ask other people to take their shifts. But that's also not always a solution. Depends on the system, depends on the hierarchy, on your on your tenure in the hospital. You can't always opt out and have someone else uh, take your uh, take your shift. So if it's it's uh, it's your shift, and you have to do it. You do it. You do it regularly. Now. Uh, another thing comes into play, and that is the uh, the religion of the patient, right? What do you do with uh, do we have to treat differently people who are uh, who are Jewish or not Jewish? Um, so, unfortunately, in the in the Orthodox world, I still don't see the uh, the vocal statement. That we treat everybody equally. Still, uh, crews of Hatzalah are being taught that uh, we take care of non-Jewish patients on Shabbat, mishum dachei shalom, because uh, we want to maintain peace and harmony in the community. Or, in other words, we don't want them to kill us, or we don't want them to not treat us when we are sick. The reason that people are, uh, you know, still have this mentality is that the, uh, uh, in the original discussion in the Talmud, where they said that you have to save someone's life on Shabbat, it seems to suggest that you only save a Jew on Shabbat and not saving a non-Jew. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, where did this come from? It's really an, an important discussion. Where did this come from? We have to understand, here we definitely have to understand the seat in life of what is happening here. And we spoke, I think we spoke about it when we did the introduction to the Shabbat, but I'll say it again. Before the time... Uh, before the uh, the war of the Maccabees, before the rabbis created the the system of the thirty nine melachot, there was no clear uh, there were no clear guidelines of what is forbidden and what is allowed on Shabbat, and people just did it organically. Whatever they felt is forbidden, they avoided. Whatever they felt is permitted, they did. And the list of what was permitted kept shrinking. And at a certain point, saving someone's life was pushed outside the law. You cannot save uh, someone's life on Shabbat. And that is a uh, practice that was preserved in sectarian Judaism. The, the uh, Essenes and other sects who fled Jerusalem and went to live in the, in the Dead Sea, in the Qumran caves, believed that if, someone is, if someone's life is in danger on Shabbat, you should not save him. They bring an example of someone who fell into a pit, let him rot in the pit until Motei Shabbat. Then, if he's still alive, pull him out. If not, you save the grave. Uh, sorry, they don't say that, but it's it's just scary. Um, the uh, 
but but that's that's what they that's what they believed. The rabbis came to this understanding that it's impossible after the war of the Maccabees because before that there were not really that many although uh, so many situations where attending medically to someone on Shabbat could have saved his life because their medicine was not that advanced. So, but uh, the war of the Maccabees brought it into focus because the Greeks found out that the Jews would not fight back on Shabbat and they would attack them deliberately on Shabbat. So new legislation was needed and rabbis got together and they decided that Shabbat, that uh, the sanctity of life overrides Shabbat. That in itself, the fact that in the Talmud, this is in Masechet Sanhedrin, <clears throat> the Gemara says that the rabbis voted that there are only three uh, transgressions, three prohibitions for one watch, for which one must sacrifice his life, and they are idolatry, adultery, and uh, or incest and uh, murder. The fact that the Gemara says they had to vote for it means that they they were not in agreement. They didn't have a tradition that you have to save life on Shabbat. Only after that vote, which happened in the in the attic of Hananiah ben Hiskiah ben Gurion, so about a hundred years before the common era, only then the rabbis decided that you save a life on Shabbat. So for them, it's a major shift. It's a major paradigm shift from what they believed before. So even if they made, uh, at that time, they limited the rule to Jews only, we somehow we can understand them because they were surrounded by non-Jews who wanted to kill them. So for them to say, I'm going to save a sworn enemy and transgress Shabbat and lose my olam whatever it is, this is too much. Uh, it's, it's, think of Jews in Nazi Germany saying that. When still Jews in Nazi Germany... Uh, when they had, maybe not to save uh, uh, a German, but when they had uh, uh, the option or the the uh, the chance to kill a non-uniform uh, German, someone who didn't think was a, a part of the, the armed forces, they didn't do that. Most Jews they would not would not harm civilians. Anyway, um, th- that is how the halacha was kept. Even today, when uh, when we're we live in a completely different society. Uh, but something interesting uh, was happening already uh, at the time of the Mishnah Berurah. This is about uh, 150 years ago. We we find that the uh, the author of the Mishnah Berurah complains that the doctors do not comply with the rabbis. The doctors do not follow the guidelines given to them by the rabbis. What were the guidelines? The guidelines were that if you go to treat a patient, if he's Jewish, you do everything that is needed uh, to do that. He, sh- they, he could do it on Shabbat, even if it's a biblical prohibition. But if the, the patient is a non-Jew, you're only allowed to transgress rabbinical prohibition, so, uh, which in a way would limit the, uh, the success of, of the treatment. So... What is the complaint of the Mishnah Burah? He says, the doctors don't listen to us. And they treat non-Jewish patients on Shabbat in the same manner that they treat Jewish patients. Right? Victory. Victory to common sense. Victory to the, uh, to the oath of the doctor. Victory 
to those who are in the field, those who really see what is happening and understand that they cannot comp- compromise their moral values and that those who wrote the halakha maybe should be more involved in what is happening in the world. Uh, but, you know, this, this, is, this uh, uh, practice of the doctors, and I'm sure that, that this is how most doctors and nurses uh, and caregivers will, do, uh, will behave today, uh, but I was, uh, many years ago, when I had a kolel in, uh, in Brooklyn, I was, um, uh, I had a kolel, and I asked, I, I, we spoke about this issue, and I asked my students, some of them came from the, uh, the uh, you know, Lithuanian or the Black Hat Yeshivot, I asked them this question, and I, and I made it into a, uh, a real-life scenario. I said, what if you were in a building... Uh, and you're the only uh, in the whole building. It's you and, and and a baby in the apartment next to you, and that baby is crying. It's Shabbat, and you're the only one who could save the baby. You know that if you don't break the door or you know we do something that is uh, associated with Hilul Shabbat, uh, that baby is going to die. If you so, if you don't do anything, the baby will die. If you do something, but but also nobody will know that you were there. So here is a situation where you are going to let a non-Jew die on Shabbat, so you would not transgress Shabbat, and uh, there will no, there will be no, no concern of the Achei Shalom, because nobody will blame you for for the act. What would you do? And I was horrified. I mean, I, I got, I was they 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 divided into two groups. Uh, one was more horrific than the other. One group said, I will save the baby, but I will feel remorse for transgressing Shabbat. And that is, of course, not right. Because this is what the, 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 you ask yourself, what would God want me to do? God would want me to save that baby. No question asked, right? The other group was scarier. I had actually some people who said, I will have to let the baby die. So I don't know, I don't know, that in real life they would have done that. You can hear me? The, the problem of this uh, approach, I understand that those people were indoctrinated or that's how they were taught in the yeshivot. If the rabbis do not teach them that this is incorrect, they really have to change the halakha. What we have is a situation where there are uh, learned Jews, I mean, learned to a degree, Right? Good Jews, trying, they're trying to do the good things, but that's how they were educated, who believe wholeheartedly that the life of a Jew is worth more than the life of a non-Jew. This, this is against all the values of the Torah. Definitely against the first chapter of Bereshit, where we speak about Salem Elohim. So uh, this, this is the problem that we have. So I'm going to go back now that we, I think we spoke about those general things. Uh, we, we, could, we could go back to the, to the Shohan Aruch and see what the halachot that are relevant uh, to today. Um, they speak about lakizdam, uh, of letting blood out. Um, the, what kind of bandages you're allowed to... Uh, um, you're allowed to use if someone has a you know has a bleeding wound. Um, 
Most of them are not things that we would want to do today. Um, one, one second here. Um, in, I'm going to save my head. This is interesting. In uh, Safe 48, he says, You can't put a, a garment, you, know, you, have a, you can put uh, rags, but not a, not a piece of cloth, on a, on, a, on a wound that is bleeding, because the blood will dye the, uh, the garment. So therefore, I mean, this is again not something that we'll do today. We know that it's dangerous. You, whatever, whatever you have handy, which is clean and, and, and sanitary, to block the blood. If you don't have band aids or bandages, you're going to put there. Um, but look at this. It's interesting. And some say that you wrap a spider web on the wound and cover that uh, that open wound with them. And then you put a rag on it. So here I have a confession to make. When I read it, though, the first time, I said, what is going on here? Who in his right mind is going to put a spider web as a, as a Band-Aid? Uh, but it turns out that it is, uh, it is a natural medicine that helps that the, uh, the spider silk has some kind of antibiotics. I don't know if all spiders uh, rather use, if you have you know, antibiotic uh, cream, and bandages, that's what you use, but uh, if you're stuck and, you know, there's no other option, give it a... No, don't say give it a shot. Don't, don't rely on me for that. Do the research first, just so you know. Uh, um, so Frederick says that his grandparents used to do that. Uh, yeah, Google is pretty interesting. So just uh, a lesson not to reject everything that, that looks to us as, uh, you know, doesn't belong to our period. But the other things that are... Um, um, that really are not uh, applicable today. Going back to safe men bed, which is important. Um, <clears throat> we read this in in forty in safe forty two. En mitamlin, haynu shedores alaguf bechoach kadesh yiga veyazia. So the the word lehit amel is the uh, is the source of the word lehit amlut in Hebrew. Right and what is it? Amlut. It amlut is exercise. You ask any any Israeli or any any one of your Hebrew teachers or go to the dictionary, and you look at the word it amlut, and it says exercise. And since the Shohan Aruch says enrit amlin b'Shabbat, the clear uh, conclusion is that one is not not allowed to exercise on Shabbat. There's only a slight problem with that, and that is that the word it amlut in the sense of exercise was introduced by Eliezer ben Yehuda in the early 20th century, and the Shohan Aruch could never have referred to it. <coughs> Shohan Aruch actually explains what is Hitamlut, and he says, It's someone actually walks on your body, it's a massage by professionals, and it's done with great strength, and that is meant to cause the, the body to... Uh, to get worked out and sweat, and that was done as a uh, as a uh, procedure to uh, to treat fever, because sweating is a is a way to treat fever. So um, that causes a problem for people who take the halacha literally today, and you know people who like to exercise uh, on Shabbat, 
the Michael comments that Amal is like the Arabic word, yes, it's, uh, it is related. The word Amal in, uh, in Hebrew is toil, and the word Amal in Arabic means to work, usually to work hard. Uh, so they are related. So that's, that's the source of the word Hit Amlut. Um, so a lot of people that I know who like to exercise on Shabbat are being told by the rabbis that this is, not, this is inappropriate, you can't do it on Shabbat. Same about jogging. But we already saw that the tour says, Bahurim. Young men who like to run and jog on Shabbat are allowed to do so. Uh, some people point out that the Torah only said young people. Again, sit in life. We have to think of the context of who would do it in the past. Only young men. Uh, today, the, uh, our, our life cycles have changed. Most of, most of us do sedentary work all week uh, or all day and then go to exercise, you know, separately. Um, myself not included at this point in time. I, I used to do that. I have to go back into it. Uh, but I feel also that the the reason a lot of rabbis, a lot of the poskim, are um, not really concerned about allowing exercise on Shabbat, it's because it's irrelevant to them. They don't see the benefit of it or why, why people do it. Um, Believe me, I, that is true. Most most rabbis that I know, even those who do exercise, usually don't do it on Shabbat. There's no on Shabbat. You, there's no time to breathe. Even it's really a, a problem uh, with this concept of working on Shabbat. How all the rabbis work on Shabbat. This is a problem. Okay, um, let's go back to the Shohan <clears throat> uh, uh Okay, I think that is fine here. I'm going to, uh, let's pause, let's start with the Shohan Aruch and see if anyone has uh, questions uh, related to what we discussed so far. Well, let, me re- let me read this question. You're asking about uh, staff who maybe are not nurses uh, who have to deliver, let's say, take, uh, just, just deliver, uh, you know, blood samples from one floor to another. Do they take the elevator or do they take, do they take the stairs? If... Right or do they the, they press it with the with the elbow or with their nose or something like that? Beshinui. Uh, so the answer is that m- most things should be done uh, regularly. I mean, if if a, a system could be installed in the hospital without great expense that does all the things through grama through uh, a delayed action in a way that it really doesn't affect, fine. But if not, there should be uh, you know everything should function regularly. Everyone who's involved in the in the work. Is eventually essential. So unless you know they they say um, maybe trimming the flowers, or you know, or mowing the 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 lawn outside the hospital, this is not essential. This we could do on a Sunday. Fine, of course. Uh, with uh, common sense should be used there. Um, Nadav writes that uh, his cousin refused to take his mother's temperature on Shabbat using a digital thermometer uh, and. Uh, uh, it's a serious problem. His mother was 94. Uh, this, this, is, this is a problem. What do you do? Uh, taking temperature on Shabbat. Could you do it? Could you not? So when we were kids, everybody had the, uh, the you know, classic thermometer, the uh, mercury. I, I, they still exist. You don't see them that, that much. Um, it could be dangerous. Then someone uh, came in Israel, came up in Israel and said that the, the crystal uh, thermometer that you put on the, uh, on the forehead should just tell you the range uh, is okay, but um, if if there is a situation where you think you need to use a digital thermometer, you could definitely use it. 
it's 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 uh, a rabbinical prohibition again, and not even a rabbinical prohibition. And uh, I don't know that that using that could fall into rabbinical prohibition. Uh, maybe I'll just touch on it briefly. Uh, we we will have to learn the issue of electricity on Shabbat. But um, in an article that I published a while ago, I wrote about that about the position of uh, Reb Shlomo Zaman Oyerbach regarding electricity on Shabbat, where he writes that its use, the usage of electricity should not be forbidden, and there are many appliances that you could use where there is no Shabbat transgression, and the only reason that he doesn't say that is for fear that people would confuse appliances that, you, that can be used with those which cannot be used, right? So, but eventually he did publish it with his uh, reservation, with saying that they are all forbidden, they don't use any of them. But obviously, when we are in a situation where this could lead someone to be in danger, you know, cast all the doubts aside and make sure that you're doing, uh, you're doing the right thing. Um, Rabbi? Yes. Yoshua Reynaldo. Yes. Um, quick question on... on I'll repeat your question. So you're saying about Rabbi Orabach that I mentioned before that... You find on, on okay that Halachapedia that website that they say that he deferred his uh, opinion to the uh, or the decision to uh, other poskim more more strict. Um, I don't I don't think this is true. Um, I quoted the article; it's not in front of me. But uh, his students and people who studied who were very close to him um, uh, quote him saying very clearly. That he sees the only problem that he sees is with the light bulb or with appliances that cause he cause heat because that could be similar to either cooking or starting a fire on Shabbat. But when that is not involved, he understood the 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 way electricity functions that it's a it's a um, it's a physical process and a chemical process and not related at all to fire on Shabbat. And he says very clearly that he would have ruled that it's mutal. But the reason he doesn't say it's mutar is because he's afraid that people would uh, would would get confused. He didn't say that he relies on other poskim, but it's it's taken for granted by those people, by, by others that uh, he, that his his silence is in a way he acquiesces with other with other poskim, and that's a problem. Uh, maybe he did not foresee the complications that could be caused by that. Like that person refused to take, uh, you know, to take temperature, or someone who's re- who refuses to take uh, to make a phone call. The 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 case that I told you that people don't take their children to the hospital is in the United States, not in Israel. They could call nine one one and get someone. The only thing they have to do is make a phone call, which is rabbinical, and also the example given by uh, by Sheldon of uh, of uh, diabetics that you know some people uh, uh, forego. Monitoring their uh, their blood sugars because it's a battery operator, um, and and then they suffer the consequence of Mosei Shabbat. So all these things so should I, be taken. I, I the the whole congregation because of that, and that he didn't follow. Yeah, and 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 and, and to what extent you 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 should. Okay, so I, I'm going to recap your question. Uh, you know, we said you said that someone in the synagogue. The phone was ringing in the middle of the class. The rabbi got very upset and rebuked him openly. The man uh, walked out, and you saw that he was a senior, and he was walking in a way that that showed that he had maybe a, a health problem. So um, I I agree with the with what you said that uh, we have to give people the benefit of the doubt, and 
we should not embarrass them publicly. And it happened many times, not many times, but several times happened to me that the phones are ringing uh, in the synagogue. First of all, I've, I've, I'm personally upset uh, even when it happens on a weekday, you know, that, uh, and, and you'll find, a, you know, funny situations where in the middle of the Amidah and someone's phone starts ringing and they will check it, you know, during the Amidah, you know, to check the message. This is a big problem. Um, but just, you know, there's a side halakha. If that happens, if you're in the Amidah and you put your phone, let's say, on the table away from you, and the phone starts ringing, according to halakha, you should walk over to it, even if you're in the middle of the Amidah, and turn it off. Because it causes distraction to everyone. And then go back to where you were before and continue the Amidah. When that happens on Shabbat, Rabbi shouldn't say anything. Let that person turn it off or get out and leave the place, whatever it is. And the rabbi should have, uh, uh, and the rabbis and others should have that, uh, uh, what we call dalek of schut, judging people favorably, thinking maybe that person has a, has a relative who is sick and is waiting for an important uh, uh, update. Yes, they made a mistake by leaving it on and not on on vibrate, vibrate, etc. Um, in any case, the rabbi could go later on to that person and ask him if he knows him personally what what happened, uh, and and then discuss the situation. Definitely not embarrass someone. But now the flip side: what if someone has a uh, a health risk that uh, forces him to carry a phone on Shabbat? Then he should carry it on Shabbat in our synagogue. Um, and now it, it, it's sort of uh, the SSC, which is a community-based uh, uh, security organization. Members are taking a part of it. The, um, the decision was made in Orthodox communities to make sure that you have several people, several designated people who will carry phones with them. Because in the case that someone comes, you know, breaks into the synagogue, you have, a, you have a, an active shooter or anything like that, and, uh, and nobody has a phone, how can, you, how can you let the authorities know? So some people want to uh, suggest the uh, the option of a of a one or two emergency phones that only you know one or two people have and they can. But I think that's not a good enough solution because that could go wrong very easily. It's better to assign four or five people and they could take turns, but have regular phones that that they know are uh, accessible to call 911 in case of distress. Okay, so uh, I think we will conclude uh, today. Uh, oh, I see the question. I didn't say start over the Amidah. I said continue from where you were before, not start over the Amidah. I just meant that you can go back to the same exact place where you stood before and continue the Amidah there. Um, so anyway, we'll conclude today this, uh, this session. Uh, we'll continue next week. We still have to talk about saving life on Shabbat and what happens when there's, when there's fire. Uh, if you have questions, prepare them, send them to me by email. We'll see what we can review uh, next time. And uh, meanwhile, uh, uh, keep safe and keep healthy and, uh, uh, and judge everybody favorably this Shabbat and forever. Shabbat Shalom. Bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.